Now he's saying, in light of the character that I've put within you, the godly traits that you have, now be salt and be light. That's your relationship with the world. And in telling them they are light, he's telling them they possessed an inner character that resembled his character. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're studying the Sermon on the Mount. And in Pastor Steve's last message, we learned about what Jesus meant when he called his followers salt. Now Jesus goes on to call us light. That's interesting because he also calls himself the light of the world. Are there two lights? Well, not really. As Pastor Steve just said, our character as disciples should be like his character as master. Let's see what it is about that character that prompted Jesus to call us light. Here's Pastor Steve. I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to read to us verses 14 through 16. Jesus said, You are the light of the world. City set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. With these words, Jesus explained to his followers what their relationship was to be with the world. They were to be the light of the world. And just as the previous verse identified them as the salt of the earth, so now Jesus was telling them that in addition to being salt, they were also light. But in calling them light, Jesus probably shocked these people. He shocked them because as as Jewish people, they were well aware that the expression light of the world was a title reserved for famous rabbis. In fact, Jewish historical records reveal that certain eminent rabbis like to bestow upon themselves these honorary titles. They call themselves the lamps of the universe and the lights of the world and sort of a humble thing to give yourself such a title, right? But Jesus used this very expression so well known in his day and applied it not to the distinguished rabbis, not to the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, but to very common Galilean farmers, fishermen, housewives, merchants, peasants, simple people of the land, simple people of the land who were considered by the religious community of Israel to be, as we saw last week, not just very common and very unimpressive people, peasants. Charles Spurgeon, commenting on these verses, grasped the, un- the unusual words or the unusual uh, words that, that would have uh, been thought of as this audience listened. He said, with great pomposity, they spoke of Rabbi Judah or Rabbi Jeconan as the lamps of the universe, the lights of the world. must have sounded strange in the ears of the scribes and Pharisees to hear that same title in all soberness applied to a few bronze-faced peasants and fishermen who had become disciples of Jesus. Jesus, he writes, in effect said, not the rabbis, not the scribes, not the assembled Sanhedrin, but you. My humble followers, you are the light of the world. He gave them this title not after he had educated them for three years, but at almost the outset of his ministry. And from this, 
Spurgeon says, I gather that the title was given them not so much on account of what they knew as an, as an account of what they were. Not their knowledge, but their character made them the light of the world. Spurgeon was absolutely right. That's exactly the issue here. The one thing that made them the light of the world was their character, not their knowledge, not their education, and certainly not their worldly influence. They had no worldly influence. It was their character. And folks, isn't that exactly what we're seeing? As we've gone through the Beatitudes, and as I told you, there's a progression of thought here. In the Beatitudes, Jesus revealed what their character is like. Now he's saying, in light of the character that I've put within you, the godly traits that you have, now be salt and be light. That's your relationship with the world. And in telling them they are light, he's telling them they possessed an inner character that resembled his character. In other words, as followers of the king, they had become in some respects just like their king. Because remember, Jesus said that he was the light of the world. So Jesus is comparing them to himself. As you'll recall several times in the Gospel of John, the Lord described himself as the light of the world. In John 8.12, he said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In John 9.5, he said, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And in John 12.46, he said, I've come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. So the question is, how can Jesus be the light of the world and we also be the light of the world? If he's the light of the world, then how can we be light as well? Well, first of all, as we, as we get into this, we need to understand terminology. What does the Bible mean by light and darkness? We don't want to assume that we all understand this. These words were commonly used in Scripture as symbols of truth and moral purity as well as error and wrongdoing. Light refers to biblical truth and to moral holiness. That's how light is used in Scripture. Secondly, darkness refers to error and sinful behavior. For example, in Psalm 119.105, we read that God's word is a lamp unto my feet and what? A light unto my path. So here we see that scripture, revelation is a light. It's a lamp. It's a light. Proverbs 6.23 speaks of God's law as light. Once again, truth equated with light. On the other hand, Paul says in Romans 13, 12, that we are to cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. We're to cast off what he calls the works of darkness. Now, what are the works of darkness? Well, he, he defines the works in verse 13 as revelry, drunkenness, lewdness, lust, strife, envy. So here you see darkness is, is sin. It's error. It's misbehavior. In Colossians 1.13, Paul said that we have been delivered from the power of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's dear son. So you see, when, when Jesus spoke of salt, he was conveying the thought that the world was rotten and it was decaying. And therefore, he's, he's put us as salt to uh, hinder the rapid decaying process. But in speaking of light, he was conveying the thought that the world was not only covered are not only rotten and decaying, but it was covered in falsehood and error and moral darkness. And so, folks, in, in spite of, of man's boastful claims to be enlightened and, and to have gone through a renaissance and now he's so advanced in his knowledge, the Bible teaches just the opposite. The Bible teaches is that man is in a terrible state of darkness, 
of darkness. See, in rejecting God's revelation about himself, man now walks in the darkness of his own speculations and, and his own philosophies. Now, he may have a lot of knowledge when it comes to computers and science and information, but he's clueless about the things that really matter. And what really matters is knowing God and pleasing him. Let me take you to Romans chapter 1, and I'll, I'll show you what we're talking about. Why is it that man is such a philosopher? Why is it that man walks in darkness today? Why is it that man bases so much on speculation? Everything seems to be his opinion when it comes to ethics and moral issues. Well, Romans chapter 1, beginning at 18, verse 18, gives us the insight as to how man got there and why he remains there. Verse 18, Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now, let me just explain. The wrath of God is not talking here about hell. He's talking about God letting man go his own way. God letting man punish himself by accepting the consequences of his own sinful behavior. Disease, corruption, things that happen in society, that's the wrath of God displayed. But he says that the wrath of God is revealed against people who, notice the last phrase of verse 18, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Suppress the truth means exactly what it sounds like. It means that people hold down the truth. They don't want it to permeate their lives. They don't want it to control their lives, so they suppress it. They, they push it down so that it doesn't influence them. How did man do this? He's talking about ancient man. He's talking about pagan man. How did he suppress the truth? He didn't know about Jesus, but he did have an understanding about God. How was that? Well, verse 19 says, because that which is known about God is evident within them. The thought within them doesn't mean necessarily in them, although there's truth to that with conscience, but it means it's evidence all around them from creation, from nature. For God, he said, made it, evident to them. And then he explains, verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Man can see certain truths about God through nature, through creation, through the, the beautiful mountains, through the seas, through, through uh, even the power of storms and, and nature. Man can see certain truths about the invisible God and certainly his power. But it says, being clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Man has light, man has understanding, but he suppressed that. He's without excuse. No one will ever stand before God and say, but I didn't have the opportunity to know about you. That's not true. They did have the opportunity. Verse 21, for even though they knew God, meaning they knew about God through nature. They did not honor him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became, and here's the result. Here's what happens when you turn off the light of revelation and you look at the revelation that God has given and you say, no, I don't want it. You, you cannot stay status quo. Here's what happened. They became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. God turned the light off. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Man 
thinks he's so smart, but he worships, he worships animals. This is where religion comes from. We've said this many times. It's not because man is seeking after God. It's not because man is so spiritual and so interested in the truth. It's because man has rejected the truth but must worship something. So he invents all these religions and he satisfies his his conscience in being religious. But the reality is, is that he's walking in darkness because he's rejected the revelation of God. That's why man is a philosopher. That's why man is a speculative person. Absolutely clueless about what really matters. Here's what Lloyd-Jones wrote about modern man and ancient man, for that matter. He said, there are many men with great knowledge in many departments of thought who are just tragic failures in their own personal lives. You know people like that. I know people like that. They are experts in their field. They, they understand so much more than what, than what most people know. But when it comes to the truth of God, their tragic failures in their own personal lives. They have rejected the truth of God and therefore they walk in darkness and in the futility of their own minds. So in light of that, when Jesus said he was the light of the world, he meant that as the full revelation of God, as God himself, he came into a world darkened by sin, darkened by error, a world that could not find its way to God. They were groping in the darkness all around them of their own lives and their own behavior. But as the light of the world, he he came to reveal who God is so that they may see him as well as the truth about themselves. And what did man do when the light showed up? The Bible said they tried to turn off the light. In fact, they they did to a certain extent. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. A very poignant passage of Scripture. Jesus said in verse 19 of John 3, This is the judgment that light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. The world didn't want the light and still doesn't want the light. Because why? They love their own sin. They love their sin and the world wanted to remain under the cover of darkness, just like roaches don't want the light. When the light shines on them, they scurry. They don't like it. The world of unbelievers didn't want the light of Christ exposing their deeds of darkness. So eventually they tried to turn off the light and they killed Jesus. Now listen, this is why when you and I witness to people, they're not interested. It's not because the gospel doesn't make sense. There's nothing that makes more sense than the gospel. It's, it's not because the gospel isn't real. It's not because people can find contradictions in the Bible. They can't. Those are all smoke screens. It's simply because people don't want to repent of their sin. They love their sin. That's what, that's what Jesus is saying here. Men love darkness rather than light. The light exposes your sin. You can't come to Christ without repentance. You can't come to Christ without denouncing yourself and your sin. And people don't want to do that. They want to remain in sin and they don't want to save you from sin and they don't want to forsake their sin. And so back in Christ's day, they, they thought that we'll just silence the light by putting him out. But they couldn't completely turn the light off because Jesus said that every one of his followers was also the light of the world. Now, the question is, how could he say that he was the light and also tell us that we are the light? Well, it's very simple. Jesus is the light of the world in a unique and primary sense because he's the source of light. Remember, he didn't just come to speak truth. He is the truth. 
We may speak the truth that we're speaking from the Bible, but he is the truth. Intrinsically, he's the truth. That's why 1 John 1, 5 says, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. He's the source and origin of all light. We only receive our light from him. We're light in a very secondary sense. We're, we're just like um, candles who have been lit. We're not the fire, we're just the candles. And so he's made us light in a, in a limited sense. But now our role as light of the world is to shine upon men so that the light of, of the truth of Christ might pierce the night and dispel darkness. Now, I think it's very important that we stop here for a moment and, and I want to emphasize something. This message and these truths will, will not help you at all if you have any doubts of your significance as the light of the world. Because there's a tendency when we hear these verses to think, you know what, I'm just, I'm just a tiny little candle in my part of the world. It's people who really have a platform, people who speak publicly, who really are important lights, and people who write books, and people who have all kinds of ministries that are very well known. They really need to take heed to this, but I'm just a little candle, little insignificant candle. I want you to know that's not true. That, that's not true. Never minimize or downplay the role that you have as light in the world, thinking that you're not very significant. What, whatever you do really doesn't have an impact. That's not true. There, and I want you to hear this carefully. There is absolutely no light in the world apart from the light that you provide as followers of Christ. There is no other light. There is no other light. When Jesus said that we are the light of the world, he meant that we as ordinary, common believers, we and we alone are the light of the world. Now let that sink in. There is no other light that he's put on display. We are the light of the world. And I would, I would bring to your attention historically that when Jesus said these words, the famous and great philosophers of, of the Greek background, of Plato and Socrates and Aristotle and others just like them, they had all given their teaching. They had all spoken. And yet Jesus just, just set that aside and said, that's not light. That's not important. He said to these, these Galilean peasants, you, not Plato, not Socrates, not Aristotle, you are the light of the world, not the distinguished minds of this world. Not the, the eminent rabbis, not the great thinkers. You and you alone are the light of the world. You know what the Bible thinks about philosophy and philosophers? Well, let's look at, at 1 Corinthians. This is what, what Paul, great mind that he was, what Paul thought about philosophy and what God thinks about philosophy. Now, I'm using philosophy in the sense of, of not the revelation of God, but man's, man's theories and speculative thoughts and opinions. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. And let me just say this. I think when, when Paul came to Corinth and wrote to the Corinthians, people thought that, that he would, would mix in philosophy with the gospel so that he would appeal to them. Paul did nothing of that nature. Paul never, though he knew philosophy, Paul never preached philosophy. Here's what he thought about philosophy. Verse 18, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, he wrote, it's the power of God. It may, what I preach may sound foolish to others, but it is God's power, he said. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I'll set aside. God says, all your clever philosophy, all your clever educational theories, I'll just set them aside. I'll set them aside. 
all that you do and speculate about how man came into being, all that, I just set it aside. And then Paul asked these rhetorical questions in verse 20. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? The wisdom of this world is considered by God to be foolish. Why? Why is it so foolish? Verse 21, for since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. What Paul is saying is the reason that that philosophy is so irrelevant is because man has embraced it, but he still can't know God. So what? So he studies philosophy. So he knows the theories of the universe. So what? The world through its wisdom didn't come to know God. So what good is it? God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. You have all of the great thinkers with all their philosophies telling you this is the meaning of life. And Paul just sets it aside and said, this message that is considered so foolish that a Jewish Messiah would pay for sin on a cross in an obscure place in the world outside of the city of Jerusalem all those years ago, God's going to take that message that sounds so foolish and silly And that's the message that will save you. That's what he says. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So Paul, in just one sweep of his hand, sets aside man's wisdom. Where is the debater of this world? What difference does it matter? In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, he said, For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness is the one who is shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. In other words, at salvation, God has flooded our hearts with his light, which is the truth about God. You have it in you if you know Christ. You are the light of the world. Now he calls you to reflect and transmit his light to a dark world. Question is, how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you shine the light of truth upon a culture that's engulfed in darkness? Well, that's what we're going to discover this morning as we get into our text. But let me mention once again and affirm, as I did last week, that letting our light shine upon men, just like being the salt of the earth, has absolutely nothing to do with wielding political clout or organizing protests or boycotting certain businesses and and dealing with ungodliness in our society that way. It has absolutely nothing to do with that. There is nothing here that Jesus is referring to that has anything to do with, with politics. Jesus isn't teaching us to impose biblical values upon our culture by legislation. Like the metaphor of salt being light in a dark world has to do only with the way that we live with living out the Beatitudes, with being a certain kind of person. Notice there are no commands here except let your light shine. You don't have to do anything to become light, just like you didn't have to do anything to become salt. You just are. By virtue of the fact that that you're a believer in Christ, you are light, you are salt. But in telling us that we are the light of the world, Jesus didn't stop there. He very wonderfully gave us two important truths about how light functions. How are we to function as light? How do we function as light in a dark world? Well, that's what we want to see this morning. First, he tells us that as light, we need to be visible. And second, he tells us as light, we need to be useful, visible, useful. Light isn't much good if we can't see it. Pastor Steve Kreloff will continue that thought on our next Verse by Verse. 
I'm glad you could join us today as Pastor Steve continues this series of lessons about the Sermon on the Mount. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For more information about Lakeside, call the office at 727-441-1714 or go online to lakesidechapel.com. Verse by Verse is a faith ministry, and we depend on the gifts of caring listeners like you. If you'd like to help support Verse by Verse through either a special one-time gift or regular ongoing support, we have a special page for that on our website, versebyverseradio.org. If you'd rather give by phone, you can do so by calling Lakeside at the number I just gave, 727-441-1714. And we do thank you for your support. Also on our website is our message archive page where you can find all of our broadcasts organized by date for you to stream or download at no charge. The website again is versebyverseradio.org. Jesus, after calling his followers light, said that we are to live in such a way that people will see our light and glorify our Father who is in heaven. This is Jerry Peterson inviting you to come back next time as Pastor Steve Kreloff considers how we can live lives that obviously point to God. We are here to give you strength between